You should have also had Don Cheadle be a Cockney in that one. Then it, I think that it would have been a seamless transition that way. I would have bought it Cockney more. Don Cheeto. Boy, Star. I'm War Machine. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we all can't do accents. That's good to know. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Milan. And this is David. And today, I finally watched Ocean's 12. Today, we have a special guest, a reoccurring special guest. Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. No, it is my reoccurring girlfriend, Taylor Evans. Hi. Oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> I also finally watched Ocean's 12. Had you seen the first one? I had seen bits and pieces of, I think, all three, just when they come on TV. Like, I watched a few minutes while I had some free time, but I never watched the full movie all the way through any of them. So what did you think of the first one of Eleven? I loved it. I love heist movies in general. Um, and you probably talked about this in the last episode, but I, my favorite thing about it is that they don't spell it all out for you. You just have to pay attention. Yeah, they, treat, it, they treat their audience like they're smart people. Some yeah, dumb little children. And the payoff is that much greater for it, I think. I think David felt pretty much the same way. Uh, I did. Um, and I think going a little bit into the second one, and you and I talked about this after I'd watched it the first time, that I was like, yeah, it's not, it's not nearly as good as the first one. But watching it the second time, watching it so watching it the first time there are so many things i was just like this doesn't make sense why are they doing this why is this happening why did they say that and then watching it the second time it really all clicks and i think i have a much greater appreciation for it um and i know i say that all the time about watching a, a movie the second time but this one in specific because there's so many like little things in there that don't really add up until you know how it ends and then they add up completely yeah and the second movie is different because it's not a heist movie. I really went into this one thinking it was going to be another big heist movie, and it was not that at all. Well, I mean, it was and it wasn't. It was more like a he- It was more like a redemption movie disguised as a heist movie. Like the heist was the B story of the whole thing, right? That's what I took from it. Mm-hmm. Like there was a heist. There actually might have been a couple heists in the movies in the movie, but it, it wasn't like the main focus of the movie. And it was, I feel, I do like this movie. I think it's a lot funnier than the first one. It's like, there's a lot of times in the movie where you actually get to, I feel like appreciate the characters and not just focus on the plot. But I feel like the plot itself is quite disorganized. It's like, it, it's a little messy. I think purposely so, though, right? I think, like, because, you know, you said there's a couple heists. We're, like, in Amsterdam 20 minutes into this movie on a heist, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, why are we already doing the heist? Well, yeah. I mean, I guess, like, just the way characters get around to different parts of the country. Didn't, didn't, David, didn't we have, like, kind of a... a similar problem in the first one between like New York, New Jersey, LA, Las Vegas, like they just get to those locations by the end of the cut scene. Right. I mean, it's, it gives you no time to actually like, Oh, they're here now. Um, 
maybe I was very confused. Uh, I guess we can just start from the top. Like I was very confused in the beginning when Terry shows up at uh, Tess's house and she like warns George Clooney. And then I thought he was like running to come protect her. But then watching it the second time, I realized he was just fucking running away. (laughs) Yeah. I thought that was cool though. How she's like, oh, we're all out of milk and the oven's on the fritz or something like that. And he's like, got it, got it. He said the pilot lights. uh, Whatever, man. I'm just, the point is it was cool code. I liked it a lot. Um, Yeah, yeah, I guess. But it's also just like, he just, I guess they figured he he wasn't going to kill her but he would kill Danny if he got a hold of him. Yeah, that's what I figured. Did you, Taylor, feel like, because we talked about this in the first one, but did you think that Terry Benedict, and I guess since you saw the first one, you can comment about his character in the first one, feel like a real threat? Or did you feel like, for me, I feel like in the first one, he was like a real threat because he was the main antagonist. But in the second one, mm-hmm. he was almost like a B-level bad guy. And I felt like the main threat was Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay, yeah, I can agree with that. I think that, I mean, it sounds bad, but if you're going to have a big menacing villain where the consequence for crossing this villain is he's going to kill you, or his men are going to kill you. There's no proof of that. Like we were never given examples. Right. Like if he had killed someone or tried to kill someone or shown in some way that he was actually going to follow through with that threat, it did seem kind of empty. Yeah, but I feel like even like... David, did you feel like there could have been a character where he could have just like offed one of the one of the original eleven and been like, "Hey, if I don't get my money, that this is all of you." But then I feel like it would have been a much darker, different movie. Well, then also too, how do you count them? Like, is it do you count that guy as Ocean's Eleven? Are we down to Ocean's Ten now? It's it's <laughs> it's more like Ocean's Twelve minus one plus one. It's a whole equation. Yeah, well, you have to replace that person clearly. Um, yeah, I, I, I think, and it's kind of the point of all these movies, like we were talking about a little in the first one, how like the point of these movies is, you know, everything's going to be successful and to just enjoy it. And there's not going to be a whole lot of tension and it's just figuring out in the end how, um, and maybe watching it a second time to figure out how, uh, so I, I really, it's just like all the bad guys are just sort of plot devices more than like actually bad guys. Like Terry's the reason they need to go get money, but the reason they need to go get the money for Terry is because the night Fox told on them. And the reason that this isn't going to be very easy is because Brad Pitt had sex with Catherine Zeta Jones for three and a half years ago. And so it's just like, it's all these roadblocks that are making it kind of impossible for them to complete their mission really. I also felt like Julia Roberts, not Julia Roberts, Julia Roberts, but Julia Roberts's Tess. Uh, I felt like she was a much more like well-rounded, full character than Catherine Zeta-Jones. Kind of like off of what you're saying, like I feel like in the first one she was a real person, and then Catherine in this one 
was just a way to get the story moving and not did I like I cared much more about Tess and Danny's relationship than I did about Catherine Zeta Jones. I completely disagree. Okay. I feel like if the Terry portion of the movie was I guess they kind of had to put that in there because they ended the last movie where he was following them, but it didn't have to be as big of a catalyst as it was. I feel like if the entire movie was Brad Pitt wants to do basically the same thing that George Clooney wants to do in the first movie where he wants to win this girl back and they're going to do a heist in that city and it all revolves around the relationship between the two of them, that that could have been the whole movie. If they really flushed out that whole storyline where she's the cop and she's trying to find out who it is and she gets this feeling that it might be an old boyfriend of hers, but she's not really sure. That is such a more interesting dynamic than all these convoluted subplots kind of interweaving themselves together, I think. But that's what I'm saying, though, that I feel like that crowded the focus of their relationship where I feel like in Ocean's Eleven, Tess and Danny's relationship was part of the main focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but to your point about them not really um, establishing the character of Catherine Zeta-Jones played by Isabel, I think you get, at least from a backstory perspective, you get a lot on her. Um, you know, her dad was a thief. Her mom kind of kicked her dad out and didn't let her see him. Um and so she has like because she has this background and she's also a cop she's like a super cop although she works for an organization that i've never really heard of and apparently in real life has like no ability to arrest people um so i think you from a backstory perspective like i was saying you you do get a lot from her and i think she is like she does add a lot to the film the test part of it is just test is just this like comedic side plot to bring in uh you know in the end of the first one or this one this one i think tess is way more important in the first one no but that's what i'm saying i'm not comparing tess and zeta to each other in the second one i'm carrying I'm, I'm comparing 11 tests compared to 12 what's her name isabel yeah i'm comparing them in in each of their own respective movies you know, one thing that might be important to compare is how bad Brad Pitt's wig is in this movie compared to any other wig in the history of cinema. Was it a wig? Yeah. Brad, Brad Pitt's? Well, he's got a shaved head for most of it, but in the flashbacks in Rome, the three and a wow. half years, it's absolutely horrible. Um. I normally pick up on that right away, and I didn't even notice. Yeah, I didn't notice. I was so focused from the first movie, realizing that every single tiny little thing they show you, you have to pay attention to. I was so focused on paying attention to every single little detail that I I did not even notice that he had a wig on. Also, I know that this is jumping ahead quite a lot, and if we don't want to go in it right now, but I really do want to touch it upon it. Um, What do you mean, super cop? By Isabel, how, if she's such a great police detective, whatever she is, how did she not know about her father? Like, how, how, how? She never looked for him because she thought he was dead. 
but she's been looking for him her entire career as Lamarck. How did she not make that connection? Because he's the greatest thief ever, and no one's ever even come close to catching him. So just because just because she's incapable of doing something that no one else can do doesn't diminish her. What I find interesting, and I think what this world, this movie does a great job of, is sort of establishing this world that none of us really know about. I'm not even sure exactly exists where like there's just all these thieves like know about each other. And it's almost like they have their own Facebook where they can look up stuff like it. I think like the world building in this one is really great. And at a certain point I was like, all right, how can Isabel not know anything about the night Fox, but then they make one phone call and they know everything about the night Fox, which you don't pick up on until the second watch. I mean, without, without the first movie, there was no way for me to actually know that there was one connecting vault of the three biggest Las Vegas casinos. So that was cool to, to pick up on that fact. I don't even think that's real, though. No, I don't. I don't think that's real either. I don't think Andy Garcia owns the three casinos. Look, I don't know much about Andy Garcia, but I wouldn't put it past him. Maybe. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so upon second watch, though, I kind of figured out that they were able to talk to Lamarck, which is how they know everything about the Night Fox. Um, and so like that, that's obviously that detail makes sense. But the, the rest of it, like this, just like this interconnectedness of like these thieves and how they work together and they change crews and do jobs together, uh, I thought was like a pretty cool aspect of this movie. Well, I guess we also needed to know that because... I- how did Danny get the 11 in the first movie, right? What I like about between these two movies, um, and I've seen the third and I won't talk about that, but it does give you more, every movie gives you a better perspective of this world. And I think for a franchise, you know, that's really well done. Also, I know that talking to Lamarck cleared up the whole Night Fox thing, but can you, one of you explain to me exactly why Lamarck basically just like was a traitor to the Night Fox. Yeah, he the, just turned on him. Because the Night Fox broke the, the number one rule. That's why? Yeah. So is Lamarck spe- like the rule keeper guy? Well, no, but he's like, he's a, he's like, he's a thief through and through. He believes in the code. And so, yeah, he trained the Night Fox, but the Night Fox then completely dimes out these other thieves and is going to get them killed all for a game. And Lamarck's kind of like, well, this is partly my fault too anyway. And by doing what he did, all he did was cost an insanely rich guy, you know, some of his money that we find out at the end of the movie, he's probably just going to steal back anyway. I have thoughts about that ending, but we'll, we'll get to that in the end. One thing I wanted to talk about is that, you know, they had a, the montage before uh in the first movie of like getting the crew together but the montage here where terry just finds each one of them in different areas like i really love like him pointing out that uh one of the twins was going to epcot for his honeymoon (laughs) um i love the basher recording a song and like them having to bleep out everything (laughs) Mm -hmm. and did you notice the uh the guy who plays Moriarty from the second Sherlock Holmes was the uh, was the du- guy doing the mixing. The second Sherlock, like Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. 
I should probably look up his name. Yes, the Robert Downey Jr. Sherlock Holmes. No, I did not notice that Moriarty was doing the sound mixing in the dark booth next to Don Cheadle. I mean, it wasn't that dark. I I have to agree with what Alon said earlier, that there is a lot more funny moments in this movie than in the first movie. Like, when they're getting in the booth they're getting like the lights turning on like oh someone must be in there and they turn on the lights and that just shot of his face showing up from the piano like in the (laughs) was so funny i mean there was a lot of funny moments in in oceans 11 but you're yeah i mean they turned it up to 11 Um, by the way uh moriarty is played by jared harris who's also in the curious case of benjamin button which we talked about Huh? Should put mm-hmm. a little more respect on his name than that. I don't think we knew his name then. the The thing about the funny the thing about the funny moments in this one is: Do you guys think it was overshadowed, or it overshadowed kind of the integrity and the seriousness that this movie tried to do at some points? I don't think this movie tried to be serious at all, ever. Me neither. Not once. Even like if it the um like the personal relationships and and between people i don't think so i think it also added to the characters just knowing more about them because it none of the humor was in the middle of a serious moment if there was a serious moment there was a serious moment it wasn't like serious moment and then broken by like a dumb joke right it was all in its own kind of space i mean just the you know what i'm getting at what you guys feel what i feel is that unfortunately this movie wasn't as smart or didn't treat us us as the audience as intelligently as the first one did more so on i just love how much the first one set these tiny little things up all throughout the movie um, like one thing that's so like in my brain is how the twins, we were introduced with them, with them racing with an actual truck and a motor truck. And it was just like, oh, they're goofy and they're competitive against each other, but they work great together. And then for that to equal out to them remote controlling the van with the fake money, like that was a payoff that no one saw coming, but it was much appreciated. This movie is like a ghost of that. You know, we don't have those moments unless they're told to us in like extreme detailed backstory, flashback style. Yeah, I, I that was my biggest problem with the movie is that there was no small thing for you to pay attention to and then the great payoff at the end. It was like, you had no idea what was going on at the end there. How in the world did they get their information? Where did they get it from? This makes no sense. It was kind of like an ex machina, like out of nowhere that, oh, by the way, Lamarck did the whole thing. And by the way, he's her dad. Like it was just out of left field. And it it wasn't as fun because you couldn't, I don't know, watching the first one and then realizing, okay, I got to really pay attention to these tiny details because it's really going to pay off. And then paying attention to every detail I could and then the payoff at the end, having nothing to do with any tiny detail, it's just like random. This 
guy out of nowhere was really sad for me. <laughs> you guys really should have watched this a second time. Because that kind of makes me think too. So you know how I, we were just saying that like in the first one, they explain things while they're happening. And this one, they explain things while they've already happened. Right. When you watch this again, there's so many things. One of my, the one that comes to mind immediately is they're in the warehouse going over. They're like, all right, at 10, 11, you walk in. At 10, 12, we walk in. At 10, 13, you're in this room. At da, 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 you're in this room, right? And they're like, all right, we did great, guys. And then after that's done, Brad Pitt walks up to, to George Clooney and goes, and at 10.45, we all get arrested. And I was like, it's just a throwaway line, right? But no, that was the purpose was for them to all get arrested. Oh. And I actually, cool. I think, I figured out that Lamarck was her dad really early on. I think like as a guess or like legitimate proof behind that. Well, no, it's just like, I mean, no, like he doesn't completely spell it out for you, but when, um, when she like lifts his phone and then he's talking about like, Oh, maybe you're in the wrong line of work and you, uh, you could have, you know, did you get that tingling sensation from doing it? Like, there are clues that that's where it's going. I almost thought it was a little too neatly wrapped. But um, to me, it, like, I, when, I, when I was watching it, the fir- even the first time when I was watching it, I was like, oh, I think that's probably what this is going to lead to. And I, I think when you watch it the second time, too, you're, you're like, your disappointment that there isn't this big, big, like, plan set up and that you, like, missed it. Because in here, we missed the heist. The heist is uh, a two-minute flashback at the end of the movie where they explain why they won. Right. But if you're watching it throughout, it is it it like when you watch it the second time, you do see like these kind of. What's funny too is like the heist actually happens on that train station where like when we see it in real time, the the most important thing is George Clooney's like, "Do I look fifty to you guys?" Right. So I do think. And uh, you guys should have done this anyway, but I do think you guys should watch Ocean's 12 again because I, like I said, after the first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, I was pretty disappointed in it. But that second time, there is like a lot of hidden stuff in it, which I think we can go through like, but we didn't even talk about my favorite part of the beginning where Livingston's doing comedy and he does this really long joke about being like seeing a woman across the room and it turns out to be his mother. Right. And then, like, one person laughs, and then at the end, he thanks Andy Garcia for, like, letting him finish his comedy. <laughs> um, yeah, because didn't Andy Garcia say something like, that was more painful than anything I could inflict on you, or anything like something like that, right? No, you've completely made up that quote. What he actually said is, what can I say, Livingston? You're a funny guy. I like it was my, implied. I like my quote better. Um, yeah, I think I think that is probably like in the first movie we were talking about like getting the crew together scene is is almost always the most entertaining thing to see in a heist movie and for this one it was a getting together the crew but i think one it helped because we already knew these characters on a deeper level and then another thing it wasn't a recruitment shot of all of them right it was a going around you've been had and being threatened by the antagonist of the last movie i um i do like they established that damon uh really wants to keep his parents out of it which is a big payoff at the end it is probably my favorite part um the topher topher grace cameo coming back which i did not expect um 
But my favorite part of all the montages is when they get back together and they're just stuck on the fact that Terry called it Ocean's Eleven and they just like can't get over it. Yeah. Matt was like, who do you go to when you have trouble? He's like, Rusty. Yeah, well, we all go to Rusty. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then again, that was like a wink and a nod. Like they did the first one where, where Clooney was like, all right, so we have 10. That's 10. You think we need one more? So I, I, I uh, it's been so long since I've seen Ocean's 13, but I'm, I'm kind of excited to rewatch that because I feel like, you know, more jokes. Well, they could go either way, right? Are they going to go more plot driven in the, in the next one? Are they going to go even funnier, even crazier, even, you know, whatever. So that'll be, that'll be interesting. David, was the comedy scene your favorite funny part of the movie? With the comedy club? Mm-hmm. Um, I think as I was alluding to is when you finally figure out that Matt Damon's mom broke them out of jail in the end. Um, I think that was probably my favorite part. Cause initially when that, when that woman appears, I'm like, oh, I fucking hate this. Like now they've gotten caught. Like, what is this even going to be? I was like, this is kind of stupid. Um, which is like the reaction I had to most of this movie. The first time I watched it, I was like, this is kind of stupid. I don't really like what's happening here. Um, Cause it just felt like they were more and more like getting into trouble. And like, I was like, it doesn't even make sense how they're going to like get over this. And then you realize like, Oh, well an hour into this movie, it was over. They'd already figured everything out. And like, we were kind of done here. Um, I think the next scene that really confused me is the Matsui scene, which I think is purposely. And it's also how you guys were talking about, like the movie doesn't treat you like an idiot. And it just does things that you, there's no explanation for, which is obviously like purposeful, specifically with like the names of the the cons that they pull but then like the matsui stuff where he just is it's just gibberish right yeah i mean i think i feel like we're about to get to talk about my favorite part of the whole movie which is a whole thing but the matsui is the comedic timing on damon reciting poetry and then just totally being like reamed out by by Clooney and Pitt it was like it, I feel like it's one of the funniest moments he gives this long, long thing is like don't just don't ever do that again I just and the look of embarrassment on Damon's face I thought was just really great um yeah you called his niece a whore she's seven <laughs> yeah she's going through stuff right now I thought it was just great I mean um I think my favorite funny moment that I just could not stop laughing. And the scene went on for way too long, but I think it's because they knew that it was hilarious because I, I was just like tears down my face the whole time was when the night Fox was jumping over the floor lasers. And he was like, <laughs> I don't know why that was so funny to me, but I, I could not stop laughing. That was a note I had watching it the second time. I was like, you could cut this in half and get the same effect. I don't really know. And I also was very confused, like in the middle of the movie when they're all getting arrested and he's dancing, I was like, what the fuck is he doing? Like, why is this, why is this happening? And a lot of the movie too, doesn't really, you're like, why are they, Ash, uh, Ashley even brought this up. She's like, why are they like so purposefully like going over the top, even though they know they've already won. And that was like to trick him. But at the same time, it's like, well, you, have already won so like what is the point of the rest of this 
Well, actually, one of my favorite moments of the film is when Taylor turns to me. She's like, so like, yeah, they're going to go through all the work. They're going to steal the egg. And then the Night Fox is dancing in the middle of the movie because he is going to steal it from them and basically have Ocean's Eleven do all the hard and dirty work for him. And he's going to swoop in last second and just take it from them. Boom, bam, done. And I was like, God, it's been forever since I've seen this movie, but I'm pretty sure that's not how it goes. But I was like, maybe that's how it goes. Cause it really looked like it was going to go that way. And for it to pull like a complete 180 and be almost exactly the opposite of exactly what it wants you to think. Um, that was really awesome of the film. Yeah. I mean, cause really what happened is the night Fox tells them about this heist and then steals it really he thinks before they have an opportunity to steal it but they actually ended up stealing it before he even told them about the contest but that's cheating right like do do you guys have a problem with the fact that that's cheating i so i did they're thieves (laughs) i i did on the first watch but then in retrospect he's like oh well once it gets in rome you know then you'll have 48 hours and we'll see who can steal it and he steals it like the night it gets there. Um, and then also he's just, you know, he was, he was doing shit the entire time. So it's like they were just sort of playing to his level. And at the same time, like they were going to die. So it's like, you know, sucks. Sucks to suck, Night Fox. I didn't I mean, like that part that they, Lamarck had told them, as soon as you meet with him, you can expect him to have cameras on you at all times. So all that ridiculous song and dance that they went through what that was for no reason was just to keep him from thinking that they had it. I thought that was cool. I really liked that. I guess what I, okay. I guess what I mean by cheating is I feel like it was kind of cheating how they knew that the actual egg was being transported by backpack when Night Fox didn't even have a chance of getting that information. Yeah, sucks to suck. They okay. were better. Hey, like, you and I were talking about this. I think, obviously, the Night Fox is a better thief. But in this case, they, like, they did, they bested him. And they're not better thieves. Like, he, by himself, is better than all of them. But in this scenario, they're just like, well, let's go just talk to this one dude and let's, like, figure out how we're going to beat him. Um, and it's like, once again, like, their lives were on the line. You know, not really, because I don't know that Terry can kill people. But... I uh, think uh, according to movie logic, they they were in trouble. Now, now, what did you guys think about? And David, you and I touched on the the far out technology that was used in Ocean's Eleven about him putting the tiny little microchip on one of the random wires of the security and having access to the entire security system of all three Las Vegas casinos. A holographic egg, in comparison, really put the first movie in perspective, did it not? And also, it's a holographic egg, but it only lasts two minutes. <laughs> right. We got two minutes of battery in this thing. Battery technology is still not great. I mean, did that, that took me out of the movie quite a bit. I'm like, all right, I'll just stay in it because, you know, whatever I believe in the movie, I'm sure it'll turn out great. But for it to go so far into the future of something that, like, we still don't even have, as good as did that bother anyone not really 
it bothered me the first time, but then the second time you have to think like, once again, they didn't need it to work. Really, they're just fucking around at this point. They already had the egg. Like none of it matters because they were needing to get arrested anyways, but they seem so damn determined to get out of Dodge. Didn't they? Like when they switched the egg and then she was pretending to be pregnant and then she was like, Ooh, I'm fainting. And they're like, all right, let's go. We got to get her out of here. They're like walking, whispering to themselves. They're like, don't stop. Whatever you do, don't stop. Just don't stop. But it's like, that's your whole point is to get stopped and arrested at that point. So it's them whispering amongst themselves, don't stop whatever you do. We got to get out of here. Seemed pointless. Seemed for us as the audience. To me, what it was, and I, like, you know, they're all in the jail betting if they'll even make it into the museum. To me, this was like Damon, Scott Kahn, and Don Cheetah, like, what if we could actually just do this? It's meaningless, but like, let's see if we can do better than them and like just fucking <laughs> steal this fake egg. Um, so like because you know because Damon this whole movie is just like embarrassed by everything and so like you know when they're in the warehouse discussing it which is also one of my favorite scenes because Damon's like all right let's go through the let's go through everything again they're like who died made you Danny he's like oh I'm sorry and then Scott's like no 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 man you know just you you take the lead you know like all that is because the Night Fox is listening in but it's also just because it's it's funny I was actually incredibly impressed that they could pull off what they pulled off with that few people. And it was all basically Damon's idea. I think that was like his big moment. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but was, wasn't Damon the only one who wasn't in on the whole thing? I, I still don't know who was in or not in. I know Julie Roberts wasn't because she got really pissed off, but it felt like everyone else had to know, right? Because they were all on the train. So they all knew they already had the egg. Mm. Okay. So now we're at my favorite part of the movie. By the way, I mean, he didn't come up with that. That was a looky-loo with a bundle of joy. Everyone knows that. Shut up. I've been waiting to talk about this part of the movie forever. And I have to put one thing into perspective, is that out of the three movies, I always claim that Ocean's 12 was my favorite. And I think because Teenage Elan, I could actually see Teenage Elan enjoying this film much better than Ocean's Eleven, like any teen, any like dude teenager would, right? Because it has Catherine Zeta-Jones, it has action, it has a lot of hilarious guy-guy moments. The way you're talking about this makes me think there was some nudity I missed or something. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm just saying that I don't think I had the capability of appreciating the great writing in the first one. And I was just looking at the immediate payoff in this one without even looking at it as as deep as you did this time, right? I mean, I still didn't even look at it as deep as you did this time. But I always said that Ocean's 12 was my favorite. And I take that back now because I really appreciate Eleven watching it after all these years. But the big reason why Ocean's 12 was Teenage Elan's favorite is because Tess realizes well the whole movie everyone realizes that Tess looks exactly like Julia Roberts and I thought that was the funniest shit I really hated that at first it made me so mad at first that's breaking the fourth wall times 10 Alan was that scene where um 
what's Matt Damon's character's name? I can't remember. Linus. 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 The scene where Linus goes, does anyone else think that Tess looks like, and they're like, shh, shh, like telling him to shut up. And he says that a couple times throughout the movie. And um, I was like, like, don't tell me he's going to say like Julia Roberts. Don't tell me. And then when they call her and they bring her in, I was like, Alon, there's no way that they're going to be that obnoxious, that they're going to have her play her actress self. And Alon goes, well, who, who do you think Julia Roberts looks like? Like an asshole making me think that, okay, they're going to have her play someone else famous as a lookalike, but not Julia Roberts. Bryce Dallas Howard. No, but I mean, (laughs) (laughs) she looks nothing. I know, but I couldn't think I was racking my brain. Like who just Julia Roberts has a very unique look. She doesn't look like anybody else. And then they're like, Oh yeah, she's Julia Roberts. But again, this is the ocean movies turning that dial up to 10, right? Because they set the precedence that to 12. Shut up, David. If I can't make an 11 spinal tap joke, you can't make an oceans 12, 12 joke. We're doing oceans 12. Yeah. Look, the fact that they had Topher Grace and the rest of the cast of Dawson's Creek playing themselves in the first movie. There was only one Dawson's had, Creek person. I know, I know. Shut up. And then they had him in it again. But then they threw in Julia Roberts as herself over the phone. They threw in Bruce Willis as himself. This is just playing on what they've, you know, kind of already established the world we live in, you know. Brad Pitt and George Clooney don't exist, but all these av- other actors do. Heck, maybe they do, and maybe no one knows that Daniel Ocean looks exactly like George Clooney. Who knows? I don't know, but I live for it, because that is my favorite part of the movie. That part has stuck in my brain after all these years that Julia Roberts looks exactly like Julia Roberts, and that's okay in this film. It must have been really fun for her to play Tess playing herself, being bad at playing herself, playing Tess. I mean, she was just playing Tess. She never got close to playing Julia. And I love, uh, I love Don Cheadle telling her how important the accent is while having the worst accent. Um, oh my, 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 favorite, my favorite part of Alan's favorite part is uh, people, including Matt Damon and then the, uh, the museum curator, telling Bruce Willis that they figured out Sixth Sense way early in the movie. He's like, as soon as you sat down at the restaurant, he's just like, if all these fuckers are so smart, how did this make $700 million? Uh, I just, I guess that was my first real run in with like fourth wall breaking, super, super meta. And um, I mean, I, I love that stuff now. So I, yeah, I think that's just- You never watched Animaniacs as a kid? No, I did. I just, I guess in live action and having it so blatantly there and, everyone just being okay with it was just super cool to me. And I mean, it must have been because it, it, that scene specifically has just been ingrained in my head. I can't look at Julie Roberts without thinking, oh, she played herself, but not. And by the way, Taylor, your part about saying how like, they're all like, oh, don't say that, you know, cause it was Brad Pitt that Matt Damon goes up to. Has anyone said that Tess looks like, and he's like, don't talk about that. And I can't even tell you why I can't talk about that, but you can't talk about that. Like, that just reminds me of, like, I think Brad Pitt's my favorite part of this movie. Like, he just plays, like, a very nonchalant, cool guy. But it's just, like, you know, it's a part he's made to play. 
Um, I love when he's like answering all the questions about Isabel when they all figured out and they're like, you know, they're like, wait, wait, so she's a cop. He's like, yeah. Was her dad a cop? Nah, thief. So she, you know, it just, he's like, he's just so like nonchalant about everything. Um, now he's like, he's probably my, besides his bad wig. I think he's like the best part of this movie to me. My favorite part of, with Brad Pitt is in the beginning when it shows him in a relationship with Isabel. She's like, oh, we've had a big break in the case. We got a perfect footprint, size, you know, 10, heavy on the on the soul. And he lifts up his soul. And he's like, oh, and we got a hair and we'll know what this fucker's conditioner. He looks up and there's like head and shoulders. And then he just jumps out the back window. I was like, that's great. I love that. Did you guys, did you guys realize she knew in that moment? Because when I was, when she was talking, I was like, oh, she knows it's him. Yeah. Yeah. I thought so. And she let him escape. The only thing that would make me not think that that was that she knew is because she let him escape, but then she seemed really pissed off that he. I think she was testing him to see if he would be honest with her at least. And he wasn't. And he peaced out and said. I mean, that's the that's the code of the thief, you know. Um, uh, Also. brad pitt when matt damon asks him he's like can i ask you a question and then starts asking the question he's like hey give me a second answer unless it's rhetorical then the answer is obviously yes he's like can i ask you a question yes okay good yeah yeah uh because that led to the matsui scene right no that was the test looks like julie roberts um the matsui scene is on the plane when he wakes him up and matt damon's like man thank goodness i almost didn't come up didn't come over here and brad pitt's like oh and then i'd still be asleep yeah because nothing was accomplished um did you guys think i thought the amsterdam the whole part of amsterdam seemed like very like rushed obviously because it's so short but it seemed like there had to be reshoots or they had to like like part of it didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense and one thing I read, because I was like, why the hell is Bernie Mac in jail for most of this movie? And it turned out he got like pneumonia during shooting. So that's why he's like not a big part, which is, is interesting. But there's this one scene where Brad Pitt is explaining to everyone, hey, we have to like raise the building in order for the shot to work. But it's done on the phone. And it almost seems like you guys are all staying in the same hotel did you guys like forget to shoot this scene? So they're just shooting Brad Pitt and having them like them each do like one line of dialogue. So it seems like they're all planning this together, but it's like, why was that just not shot in person? I didn't even think about that. Yeah. But that makes sense. Why that scene was so confusing because I remember turning to Alana and going, wait, what just happened? I wasn't confused, but you've seen it already, but I still wasn't confused. I wasn't (laughs) confused the first time. Look, it was not that hard to follow. I just thought, like, it was like, oh, it's too low. They're built on these, like, stilts things. We just cut them, put jacks under them, and raise them. And then that's exactly what they did. I didn't understand why you couldn't follow that. It was the way that it was happening, that it was so, like, PC, that I didn't know if it was they were talking about what they were planning to do or if it was currently happening, or if it had already happened and was done. And it was the, the you know, latter, it was already done. And it was kind of like going back on it. But to me, it was, I don't know. Did you, 
and this is for both of you. Did you guys like the little boat that was also a port to the bottom of the river? What? What? That Yin had a like go under, like scuba dive in that big pipe thing that, but it was in a boat. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand the logistics of that. I just was like, okay. So this is that this is how they've done this and now they're going to steal the thing. All right, cool. Like moving on. That's why I was saying like the whole the whole Amsterdam is so frantic and so it's like it's not hard to follow from like a very surface level of okay, they raise the house, then they can shoot a dart and they can steal this thing and that's two and a half million dollars. But from a just like if you're really getting into the details, it's just like it's like on it's like on coke. The whole scene. It's just like it's moving so quickly. And then you're like, what the fuck is this even like, what are we even doing here? Yeah. So here's, I guess, a bigger question. The whole time we were meant to think that Night Fox has outsmarted the Ocean 11, 12, whatever. When in reality, Ocean's team has had a one-up on him from the start. Could we even assume that they did the whole Amsterdam thing just to get his attention because they already had, like, that was the original plan? Or do you guys think that that was genuinely, like, by accident? I think that part was by accident and that they went and talked to Lamarck after Amsterdam because they then realized, because before Amsterdam, they didn't even know who dimed them out to Terry Benedict. And then after Amsterdam, they found the Night Fox. And then Isabel explained to them that, you know, the Night Fox is who's after them. And Rusty's like, all right, well, I got to make a call to figure out who this guy is and we'll know who he is. The only reason I say that is because stealing $2 million here, $2 million there, $1 million here seems like, I mean, in two weeks, there's no way they're going to, how much did they owe? Like sixty? One one sixty? It was like ninety-seven million, but in total it was like a hundred and ninety something million with with the VIG. Yeah, there was no way they were gonna get that much doing I guess what I'm saying. Well is they, that- they bring that up in the conversation initially because they're like, How much is this stock certificate worth? And they say two and a half million. And Don Cheadle's like, that'll take us until two thousand five. And he says, well, Matsui, once we complete this, is going to give us another job that'll pay off the rest. Which is what, Vince, you know, the Night Fox, uh, you know, told Matsui to say because he hired him to, to fuck them over. I guess. But if you want to really think that Brad Pitt and Clooney are geniuses in this movie, maybe they set up the whole thing from the beginning of meeting Matsui because they knew that the Night Fox would ha- get to him first and then play like a double blind against him to be hired to no okay fine it would be cool though would have been real cool as the audience listening to this you couldn't see but taylor and i were shaking our heads vigorously no to alan explaining that and Um, i was just getting more and more excited explaining it the (laughs) the whole purpose for them to get to amsterdam had to be for isabel it had to Right, or just, everything else falls apart. Right. Well, just like how Ocean wanted to rob those specific uh, Las Vegas casinos was to get to Tess. All right. So next, I think I really want to talk about. So Vincent Cassell, Cassell, Castle. 
He plays um, the Night Fox, and he's an amazing French actor, and I think he's pretty cool in this. He's a weird fucking character, I think, a lot because of, like, the dance moves. Um, but one thing that plays a lot different upon second watch, and I guess I can ask you how you guys felt watching it just the one time, but the conversation about stealing the paintings is so different when you watch it after, you, like, the way that Clooney plays it after knowing, like, after you realize that he's already won. And so this is just him like baiting the night Fox into like continuing, like offering the game. Wasn't it because those were the only three people that they couldn't like get a, when Isabel walks into the apartment, she immediately identifies Yin and, and ocean, right? Did you just decide to not talk about what I was talking about? I don't know, but I'm saying the three people who he caught on camera stealing the paintings were so obviously in the frame of his security cameras. They wanted him to turn them over to the cops to have those specific three people arrested, right? Like that's part Yeah, of I mean, that. it was Livingston, it was Rusty, and then it was uh, Yen, I believe. Right, because Isabel wouldn't give up Rusty, but Night Fox would. And then the other two were not identified, but then they were, and that's how they got arrested because they actually needed them all arrested for the plan to work. So that's, that's why I thought it's like, not only is he like basically sticking his middle finger up to the night Fox, but for the plan to work, they, those three people needed to be caught. I don't think anyone really need, like, it didn't matter the order they were caught in. I think they show their camera. What's funny is when, you know, he turns over, the Night Fox turns over the video to Isabel. She's like, I'm not going to find anything on there. And then their faces are just like right in. And I was like, I was talking to my wife. I was like, did did they just not know there'd be cameras there? And she like, I don't, she hadn't either hadn't seen or hadn't remembered. She was like, well, they probably just didn't know about those specific cameras, but no, they did. And they just wanted to get caught. But I was like, it's so obvious. Like, how did they, you know, th- this was like one of the things that was really pissing me off. I was like, this is so stupid. Like, why are they so bad at this? <laughs> These geniuses didn't even see a giant camera in their face. I'm just laughing at the fact that David was like, wow, how do they just get dumber from one movie to the next? This is not like their characters at all from the first one. Right. And one thing I was telling you earlier about how I thought Isabel, I figured it out early on. The reason that her father was Lamarck the line that did it for me was she was explaining to her boss, like, Hey, this egg was stolen, but they're trying to steal it again. He's like, how can, how could Lamarck have stole the egg? And now they're trying to steal again. That doesn't make any sense. And she's like, Lamarck's wife made him return it. And I was like, how the fuck would she know that? Unless that was her mom who made her dad return it. And that's what I was like, that. But then she would immediately know. Yeah. What do you mean? If her mom told her that. I think, I think she knew Lamarck was her dad the whole time. No. Yeah, she knew Lamarck no. was her. Keep saying no, or let me fucking explain myself. Which one do you want to do? No. Do you want to just end it? You saying no? She thought her dad was dead. She never says her dad's not Lamarck, or gives you any indication that she doesn't know who her dad is. She thought her dad was dead because that's what her mom says, but she never says who her dad was. So she so knew her she... dad was Lamarck, but not that he was still alive. Except right, and in, in the in the beginning, she even says like. Um, Lamarck either died in Istanbul in 1988 or here in 1990 or whatever, or is still alive. We don't know. 
because one is the story she was told another is some other facts she got and then she's like but who the fuck knows because this guy's so good you know i totally missed that that's really cool i guess and i'll say before david has a chance to say it we should have watched it a second time um <laughs> i i guess i was distracted by the fact that she was like who does she work for interpol a section of interpol your europol europol that just Europol? Like making fun of me the point Europol. is is that Europol. when she's talking about night fox to i guess students or the, the rest of the europol staff i don't know whatever she's like oh the two most notorious thieves and the one that i'm really after is night fox and then she talks about lamarck right after that made me think that she said something along the lines of the two most notorious thieves that I'm after are Night Fox and Lamarck. That's what made me think that she was thinking that he was alive. Another cool Easter egg is she is talking to Brad Pitt when she steals his cell phone. And she's like, whatever you did to the Night Fox, you need to apologize. And Brad Pitt just like brushes that off. Like, how are you doing? Like, you're looking good, you know, whatever. And she's like, you know, like, why are you you know why are you acting this way or what why are you why are you going to take his gamble and he's like because he'll lose saying you know the night fox will lose and then she's like well how can you beat him and then he and brad pitt says we can't she's like no that doesn't make any sense but it's like they can't beat him they had to cheat like they had to get information to already steal the egg because they do know he's better than them but it's just like they have already won even with how good he is you know you're making me feel really bad david because I came in here with the conviction of the second one not being as smart as the first. But now I'm thinking maybe it was smarter than I thought it was, and I just wasn't paying close enough attention. Well, here's another one for you guys. So uh, the Night Fox calls Danny at like 11.30 and tells him it's the his 5.30 wake-up call. Which one, how does he know he's waking up? Oh, yeah, because he's being bugged. So that's how he knows they're supposed to wake up at 5.30. That's how he knows their entire plan. That's how he knows, like, he's supposed to have a wake-up call. I love Brad Pitt, like, figuring out that, oh, he did that to him. He's like, oh, he's mean. And then he, like, tells him to just come in. And they're, like, getting drunk before a job that is their lives on the line. It's because, no, because it doesn't matter. Because they've already won. So they're just getting drunk. And I love George Clooney pouring the wine and completely missing. And then afterwards he's like, dude, this guy playing Potsy is unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, man, I'm so mad we didn't watch it a second time. I feel like I play, paid as close attention as I possibly could. And I still didn't think it was as smart as the first one. I feel like we just got had. <laughs> I feel like I feel like we came in here like undermining the film and thinking like oh we're smarter we were expecting the first one um to be you know or the second one to be smarter than the first one and it wasn't and poo 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 and then David's like well actually uh you're the night fox and I'm Danny Ocean's 12 so let's keep this going the other thing that's really <laughs> meta about this movie and I brought this up but you know how they're the two people go up to Bruce Willis and are like, you know, I figured, you know, it's Matt Damon and the curator. He's like, I figured out Sixth Sense because I knew when she wasn't talking to you at the at the table. And so I figured it out that you were dead. Da, 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 da. 
what's really funny, and I don't know, I, th- I think this was purposeful because I think this movie is a lot smarter than you guys maybe do. But it's it's the way that like you guys don't think this movie is as smart as it is. But if you had watched it again, you would pick up on all the things you missed the first time and realize how smart it is. Oh, much like The Sixth Sense. Yeah, no, exactly like The Sixth Sense, actually. I, you know, when we talked about Eleven and you said that Bruce Willis was actually up for the role of Danny Ocean instead of George Clooney, um, I really, really did my best to not find that funny or ironic at all because you always get on to me for spoiling shit. And I was like, I'm not going to do this to him. I'm not going to do this to him. I'm just going to keep it cool. And then I said something to you like, oh, Bruce Willis, huh? Oh, that's cool. Well, it's because I, I, I knew that part because I looked up. I know, it was already spoiled for you. So there was even no point of me not trying to spoil it for you. The one and only time I wanted to be respectful to you, David. Never again. Don't, don't you worry about that. I love, uh, I love Matt Damon saying, you know, that let, you know, talk about that time you were in four weddings and a funeral. <laughs> Julia Roberts like, she wasn't in four weddings and a funeral. And he's like, I wasn't in four weddings and a funeral. Like, you have to say I. You're Julia Roberts. <laughs> did did he think that she was in four weddings and funeral because of Hugh Grant and Hugh Grant has been in a lot of Julia Roberts movies probably yeah I mean that's a Notting Hill reference but then also I guess maybe uh Andy McDowell he got them confused she could have played oh man she could have played Andy McDowell could have played Andy McDowell yeah they don't look that much alike honestly <laughs> that's okay me either have you seen Groundhog's Day I have not no oh my god Look, we're not using this as a segue to announce that we're coming out with a Groundhog's Day episode. I don't even, I don't even want to do it with you. I don't even want to do it with you. How did the museum not tell Catherine Zeta-Jones that someone stole the egg on the train or that the Night Fox stole the egg from the museum? Did they just have such good fakes that no one figured it out? How many fakes are there in this movie? That was another thing I wanted to bring up. How many? Is it three? Why, why three? Because... Well, there's the, the real one. one. And then you would assume on the train that they gave a fake, right? That right. they gave the guy carrying the real one a fake, maybe. Right. And then Lamarck, not Lamarck, the night fox is fake that he switched the other fake with and then the holographic fake. So, so that's, three. That's four. Where's the fourth one? No, the real oh, one's the fourth one. No, I'm talking about fakes only. No, I know. And there's still four. What's the fourth one? Okay. Let's play it back. Uh, the one in the museum is a fake. Night fox steals that one and replaces it with another fake. Then we count the holographic fake, right? But then... Like David said, you have to assume that the train one was switched with a fake. But that's the one that Lamarck stole. No. It's the same. It's not. Well, I mean, not we don't know. Keep saying the, the Night Fox. Fox. But it's not. Well, it could have been, but we don't know. Because there not. are fakes. It's at least four, assuming, because you never see Damon actually switch. You see them switch bags from the real one with the with the real one in the bag and the mm-hmm. fake bag but you don't know what's in the fake bag and you have to just assume for them not to be caught at that point is that there is a replica in there mm-hmm. so that's four because at the same time that they were doing that okay so that's Night the Fox first already let's go in order backpack is the first replica no backpack has oh you mean the fake backpack 
Sorry. Stop it. Okay. Fake backpack has the first fake egg. That's the one that the night fox steals and replaces with a second egg. Possibly. And that's the one that Julia Roberts steals and replaces with another fake egg. That's three. No, listen. Here's here's the thing. It could be three. It could be four. None of us actually know because none of us know if for sure that the same egg in the bag ends up being in the museum. I don't think so. You do. And that's where our differences lie. It has to be. Otherwise, they would have known. It does not because they exclusively said. So you think another third party that has nothing to do with any of this came in and stole the other backpacks fake and replaced it with another fake? No. That makes no sense. No, David, back me up here because what you're missing, (laughs) Taylor, is the fact that when they're talking about the transportation of the egg moving from one location to the other by like the actual owners of the egg, they send out two or three fake ones so for if thieves need to go and follow one, they have the fake one. So what Night Fox was doing is he was following the one that, you know, was transported from helicopter to helicopter to plane with the handcuffs. Oh, the one that wasn't even in the backpack yes. to begin with. Yes, he was following that one. The and decoy. The, the decoy. Okay. And no, the, you're right. You're the, right. The, the real one was in the backpack because it was so low key. And that's what the fourth one was the decoy. You're right. There was a decoy. So with. this was actually based on uh, a real story where they sent this like, I don't know, jewel or diamond from South Africa to England. And they like put these armed guards on this like boat or whatever. And then they just sent uh, the real diamond like through the mail. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. And the only other, the only other fact I learned is that Matt Damon kind of didn't want to do this movie and Brad Pitt had to talk him into it and they were going to replace him with uh, Mark Wahlberg again. <laughs> um, which I, I don't know. I really like Matt Damon's whole arc in this is really funny. Like parts of it are annoying. Um, like in the room when he's like, why are you guys calling this guy a freak? Like, you know, it's a, it's a condition. You guys should, you know, be nice to him as they're just like, you know, they stole $160 million like four years ago. Um, but the scene with his mom where he like really doesn't like want his dad to know that he got caught. And he's like, great. My dad's just going to bring up that my mom bailed me out of jail in Rome. Like he's going to live off of this for years. Um, I'm glad he came back. Cause I don't know that. I don't think Wahlberg pulls that off as well. No, but DiCaprio could have. And then that would have been a direct reference to the departed. They don't look anything alike. Doesn't matter. Oh, you think Damon and Wahlberg look alike? They look more alike than... Damon and DiCaprio. So, David, when you say replace, were they going to replace them keeping the same Linus character or replace them being like, oh, this is a totally different character. This is his brother. Linus. Really? Yeah. That would ruin the whole movie. I didn't ruin Iron Man 2. What happened in Iron Man 2? Don Cheadle replaced Terrence Howard. Oh, yeah, because they look so much alike. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. We should have also had Don Cheadle be uh, Cockney in that one. Then it, I think that it would have been a seamless transition that way. I would have bought it Cockney more. Don Cheeto. Oi, Stark. I'm War Machine. <laughs> wow, we all can't do accents. That's good to know. <laughs> is Terry Benedict, is he the 13th member? I what? honestly don't remember. 
I was really hoping it was going to be Catherine Isabel. Because Tess is the... Oh. Isabel's not in the movie. Isabel's not in 13? Hey, David, remember how you get on to me for spoiling stuff? I've been trying to keep this away from Taylor since the start, and I've been lying to her consistently, saying that Isabel is the 13th, and you've just blown up everything that I've built on this lie by giving that away. So thank you for that. For all the times you've spoiled something for him, I think, you know. Right. Actually, and who do they, who's going to be 12 in the next one? Is Tess back? Tess is back, yeah. Um, Julia Roberts isn't in the next one? <laughs> Julia Roberts isn't in the next one. They gave her such a good role in the second one. Why would they not include her? I think the only way to properly round this out is much like Danny, Danny Ocean, we have to pull in another member for Ocean's 13. And who better than your wife, Ashley? So if bringing in Taylor, if she's Tess, then does that make Ashley Andy Garcia? Yes. Well, thanks for listening to another episode of I Finally Watched. I'm Alon. I'm Taylor. And this is David. And I finally watched Ocean's 12. Me too. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs>